Her name is Kim Davis, and boy, has she stirred up a hornet's nest. Woo! Nation is all abuzz with this county clerk of Rowan, Kentucky. Uh, she is a Democrat. She has refused to issue marriage licenses to homo- homosexual couples or any couples, all based on her religious convictions that the Bible teaches marriage is reserved for one man and one woman. And today, this woman, she sits in a jail cell in Kentucky for her convictions. Wow, wow, wow. Is she right in doing this, Pastor Scott? Is she ruining her testimony for the Lord by breaking the law? Is she holding fast her testimony by keeping a higher law? Different Christians hold to vast different views of this case. And it's not a time for a knee-jerk reaction. There's many things to take into consideration. But, but she's permitted no one in the office to issue any marriage license. But her name is on all the marriage licenses. So it goes against her conviction. But she swore an oath to obey the law. But Kentucky law clearly states marriage is between one man and one woman. But the Supreme Court ruled 5-4, making homosexual marriage legal. But the Supreme Court doesn't really make laws, it makes rulings. But does the ruling affect laws, whether they're right or not? And so goes the political ping-pong match back and forth and back and forth. What would you do if you were Kim Davis? How would you respond if you were that county clerk? How should we respond to the government? And it's laws, even laws we may disagree with. I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) And as only God would have it, I want you to understand the sovereignty of God. We are just studying through the book of 1 Peter, and we come to a passage just happens to fall this week that speaks right to this topic. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. As we continue our series, Turbulence, Fasten Your Seatbelt. Now, it's very important that you listen to the entire sermon, okay? And I'm especially speaking to those who may be listening on podcast or video. You need to get the entire picture, and you will not get that until I am absolutely finished with the entire sermon, But to begin with, we need to understand the background from which Peter writes this letter. Christians are living under Roman government rule. And as a matter of fact, the Roman government rule is none other than Emperor Nero. Nero will go on to blame Christians for the fire that devastated the city of Rome. Nero is the emperor that will have Christians sewn up in the skins of wild animals and torn apart by dogs. Nero will dress Christians in shirts made with wax, attach them to trees in his garden, and set them on fire as human torches. Isis has nothing on Nero. That is who is in charge of the Roman government. He is a barbaric ruler, deranged tyrant, ruthlessly persecuting people of faith in the most horrific ways imaginable. And he would be responsible for the deaths of the Apostle Paul, who would be beheaded, and the Apostle Peter, who has penned this letter, he would crucify upside down. Now listen to the words of the Apostle Peter. Under divine inspiration and under Roman government rule. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. 
Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. But, but wait a minute, Pastor Scott, I hate the government. I'm so sick of politics. Uh, I hate how wasteful and greedy the government is. Taxes and taxes and more taxes. I even got to pay a, pay a permit tax to put my canoe in the river now in Illinois. And billions and billions of dollars wasted by our government with seemingly no accountability. I hate how wasteful and greedy it is. I hate how corrupt and immoral the government is. Politician after politician with their promises and their lies and sanctioning and funding and endorsing immorality and ungodliness in this nation. I hate how powerful and intrusive the government has become. This governmental overreach seeking to control every area of our lives. And and I hate how hostile it's become toward people of faith, openly opposing Christians, who, by the way, founded this nation on the principles of God's holy word. Well, how am I to live under a government that I don't like? Or to put it another way, the title of this message, what's the right response to a wrong government? What is the right response to a wrong government? Well, I'll come back next week and we'll, no. <laughs> the first thing I want you to write down is this. Obey it. Obey it. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Submit. Submit means to willingly place yourself under authority. It is a military expression. It means to arrange in formation under the command. That's what it means. And there's different relationships of submission that we see taught in Scripture. We see it as wives to husbands and children to parents and employees to employers and here citizens to the government. Now, in this submission that you see here is spoken with a sense of urgency and seriousness. And it's very personal in nature. Submit yourself. And it comes from a one-time impetuous, hot-headed, sword-wielding, ear-lopping off Apostle Peter. Who had to learn his lesson the hard way. It's not the only reference on the subject of submission. Romans 13, 1 and 2. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from who? From God. And those which exist are established by who? God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Titus 3.1, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. Submission means obey. Seemingly across the board. You know what it means? It means no cheating on your taxes. It means pay your taxes. And Jesus made that very clear as they tried tricking him. Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar in Matthew chapter 22? And later on he'd say, render to Caesar the things that are what? To Caesar's. Pay your taxes. And to God the things that are God. What does this mean? It also means that if you want to finish your basement or put a patio in or a fence or a play set, you better get your permit. You don't do those things without the government's approval, the local government. That's what it means. It means submit to your government. You know what else it means? 
Drive the speed limit. Did I say that? (laughs) Drive the speed limit. Are you kidding me? They put a 25 up in this area? It doesn't mean 25 miles. What are they doing? Well, we're allowed to go 10 over. I've asked my cop friends. That's not what it says. See, I want you to understand, submission isn't easy. Submission can be very difficult. Especially if I disagree with the government or the law or the rule that they've made. It seems to make no sense. Especially if I believe the government has been immoral or corrupt. Uh, Especially if I see the government as opposed to what I believe the Bible teaches. Let me point out a few things that I think are important. One is this. I want to point out that even a bad government is better than no government. And don't ever forget that. A bad government is better than no government. No government means complete chaos and anarchy. A bad government is better than no government. I want to point something else out. Peter never once criticized or denounced the government. And it was a bad one. Peter never once held a public protest of demonstration against any national sin. Not once. Peter never once suggested overthrowing the government. Peter didn't do this. By the way, you know who else didn't? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus didn't even do this on the issue of Roman slavery. I want you to notice, Peter and Jesus weren't preoccupied with politics or social reform. They were preoccupied with the kingdom seeking the lost and the salvation of souls. That was their whole focus. Their whole focus. Now, in a little while, we'll look at proactive things we can do for change. Because there are things we we can do and we should do. He's not calling for rebellion. Proverbs 24, 21 says, My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those who are given to change. That's rebellion. That's overthrow. For their calamity will rise suddenly. And who knows the ruin that will come from both of them. I want to point out something else. Very important. The church has always thrived under every form of human government. The church has always thrived under every form of human government, whether a dictatorship or a monarchy or a republic or communism or socialism or a democracy. If the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ building his church, certainly no form of government's going to prevail. I think there's Christians walking around like, what's the church going to do? The church is going to keep going forward. You forget who your savior is and what he's promised to do to build his church? Government can't even compare to the gates of hell. I want to point something else out. Submission takes, submission to the government takes trust in the sovereignty of God. It takes faith that God is in complete control. It takes belief that he is still working out his perfect plan. Psalm 75, 7. But God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. He's in control. Daniel 2.21. It is he who changes the times and the epochs and he removes kings and he what? He establishes kings. God is in control. And by the way, once the kings are established, Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. What does he do? He turns it wherever he would. Don't you dare think that God is not in control. As a matter of fact, I love this meme. Keep calm. No matter who is president, Jesus is king. You you have nothing to worry about. 
We've looked at the meaning of submission. I want you to look at the motive for submission. Verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. You know what that means? Because the Lord wants me to. Because it's, it's as if I'm submitting to the Lord when I submit to the government. Because it honors the Lord. Because it shows I trust in the Lord. Because it protects my testimony for the Lord. Because it imitates the example of the Lord who submitted to the government. John MacArthur put it this way, to obey earthly authority is to honor God's sovereign authority. You say, okay, but what about some proactive things I can do to change the government? We've got to be able to do something. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know where it starts? With praying. You start praying for your president as much as you complain about him, maybe something will happen. You start praying for Congress as much as you gripe about Congress. Maybe God will start doing something, church. You start praying for the police as much as you criticize the police. Maybe God will start working. We have all these whiny, belly-aching, griping Christians complaining about everything. And nobody's on their knees praying. Keep your mouth shut unless you're going to start opening in prayer. Start praying. That's what God's word teaches. 1 Timothy 2. First of all, complain. No. First of all, whine. No. First of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions, thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. For who? For kings and all who are in authority. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. You know, God never said it was good to complain and whine and gripe. He said it was good if you start praying. The instruction to Jews living in exile in pagan Babylon. You know what the instructions to them was? Were Jeremiah 29, 7. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. God says, start praying. By the way, you can join us midweek on Wednesdays, midweek boost. We gather right out there in the cafe and we lift up this nation and we lift up things and we intercede. I was telling the group last week, I believe that's one of the main reasons why God has blessed this church so much. It's because we on Wednesday night pray. Start joining us on Wednesday night. Get proactive. Pray. You know what else you can do? You can write your legislators. You you can organize peaceful protests and take a stand. You, You can run for office. And you can vote. You know, there was an estimated 7 to 8 million Christians who did not vote, did not vote in the last 2012 election. My goodness, that's a lot of people. We have freedoms in this country that should be exercised. And how dare some of you complain about the government when you didn't even vote last election? Shame on you. You of all people just need to keep your mouth shut. And you need to register to vote. And you better make sure you vote. You have a moral responsibility. We have freedoms in this nation people died for. Get out there and vote. The meaning of submission, the motive of submission. What's the, expen- the extent of submission, Pastor Scott? Look at verse 13. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors. And so it's the whole government, every human institution, no exception. So it's the police officer who pulls you over, whether you think you were speeding or not. And if he asks you to step out of the car, you don't resist arrest. it's the police officer, it's the mayor who raises your property taxes. Rahm Emanuel, aren't you glad you don't live in Chicago? 
Highest in history of Chicago, $500 million increase. Pay up. Woo! Whether it's the president changing your health care system and giving you headaches all over the place, submit. Submit to the federal, to the state, to the local authorities, whether you agree with them or not. Someone has said from the Supreme Court to the traffic court. And it starts with the highest authority in the land. Kings, dictators, presidents, whether you voted for them or not. Now remember the context. Barbaric, deranged, pagan, immoral Emperor Nero, who is killing Christians. See, we are to respect the office even when we don't respect the one in the office. We are to respect the office even when we don't respect the one in the office. And it includes delegated authorities, governors, local governmental leaders, differing levels of authority within the government. And these were governors commissioned by the emperor himself, including ones like Pilate, who would sentence Jesus. Matthew 27. Felix, Acts 23, and Festus, Acts 26. Submit, submit, submit. Okay, but is there ever a time when I am not supposed to submit to the government? And if there is a time, when would that be? What would it look like? In other words, when you come to the corner of politics and religion... What do you do? And where do you turn? Well, I believe we do as believers have done down through the ages. And we see an example in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. And we're going to look at the Old Testament first. Daniel has some friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They work for the Chaldean government, King Nebuchadnezzar. They defy the king's orders to worship this golden statue. And they're thrown where? Not a jail cell, but a fiery furnace. I'm going to give you some selected verses just so we can wrestle through this a little bit. Here's the accusation, Daniel 3.12. There are certain Jews when, whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon. They are appointed governmental officials. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, these men, O king, have disregarded you. That's your laws. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. So you have government, employees disregarding the law of the king and the law of the land. And the law changed after they were in office. Interesting. Daniel 3.16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so... Our God whom we serve is, is able to deliver us from this furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So you have some government employees placing their faith in God. You have some government employees willing to face the consequence of their obedience to God, even if it means death. Well, the king is very understanding, and he just says, burn him alive! That's his response. Heat the furnace seven times as hot, throw him in the furnace. Listen, he's not looking for a win-win situation. There's no diplomatic solution here. Execute them immediately. And God, as you know, most of you, intercedes in a miraculous way, protects them. Nebuchadnezzar can't believe his eyes, and he calls them out of the furnace. Daniel 3.26 then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's high officials gathered around. All these other government employees. 
and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies and of these men, nor there was their hair or their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. I want you to understand what we see here. We see disobedience as a testimony to all the other government employees and people. That's what we see. And after God rescued them from the furnace in Daniel 3.28, Nebuchadnezzar responds, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who sent his angel to deliver his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their god. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. So disobedience brought glory to God from the lips of this pagan king. And disobedience is praised. And then disobedience was rewarded. Interesting. Well, what does the New Testament say? I'm glad you asked. The apostles were called before the authorities at one point for preaching the gospel. Acts 4.18 When they had summoned them and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Pastor Scott, you cannot preach Jesus. You cannot preach these parts of the word of God anymore. Sorry. Peter and John answered and said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have heard and seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which the punishment. And then we see he punished them. But then again, we see in Acts 5, starting in verse 25. The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. They're doing it again. They're disobeying again. Captain went along with the officers, proceeded to bring them. Verse 27, they brought them. They stood them before the council. The high priest questioned, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in his name, and yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, Say it with me. We must obey God rather than men. Say it again. We must obey God rather than men. I want you to notice... They didn't cause a rebellion. None of these people denied the authority of the officials over them. They just decided that God's law trumps all man-made laws. That God's law always trumps all man-made laws. So that's what you do when you come to the corner of religion and politics. Is it against God's law or is it not? Because I have to side with God's law. So, what's the right response to a wrong government? Number one is obey it. Number two is respect it. Respect it. Look at verse 13 and 14. Submit yourselves, the Lord's sake, every human uh, institution, whether a king or an authority or governors, as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Sent by him. This doesn't mean sent by God, but sent by the king, the one who's over them. Okay. Yes, God still ordains the government. Romans 13, 1, there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. In verse 6, the rulers are servants of God. Okay, we, we see that. We understand that from other passages, but not this one. Those sent by him. So, so you have people under the king's authority being sent out to do his bidding, to punish wrongdoers and to praise good doers. It's a dual purpose of government. Punish and praise. Punish and praise. The first one here is the purpose is to punish. Punish evildoers. In other words, I'm not supposed to take the law into my own hands. There's no place for personal revenge. God does not believe in being a vigilante. 
He makes it very clear in his word. Now, this is different than personal protection. Somebody breaks into your home and you, you own a gun, shoot him! Okay? That, that's different. All right? That's not what he's talking about here. But I want you to see this. The government has God's blessing to bear the sword to protect the people. Romans 13, 2 through 4. Whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they've opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for what? Evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Just do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same, for it's a minister of God for your good. But if you do what is evil, what? Be afraid and be very afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Be afraid. It bears the sword. It's a minister of God. It's an avenger. It brings wrath on evil. And the sooner the government bears the sword, the better. You say, what do you mean by that? Ecclesiastes 8.11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. In other words, we have this court system that prolongs justice forever. And God's word says, the sooner the better. If if that person is absolutely guilty without a shadow of a doubt and they've killed 15 people or one person or whatever, my opinion, execute them. Done. And, And because it's not carried out quickly, the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. When justice is not carried out quickly, it just encourages more and more evil. The sword is a deterrent to more and more evil. The sword teaches everyone a lesson in obedience. And God says the government and the officials are my sword. And they are there to punish evil and protect the good. That includes the police in this nation. They are God's ministers to be respected, and to be feared. Trust me, every time one pulls out behind me, I am filled with fear. (laughs) I may not be doing anything, but I'm filled with fear. I'm looking in your face. You do it too. The police are God's instruments. I, I know there's bad cops out there, but man, there are so many more good cops and great cops. By the way, we have any police officers here? Would you stand? If we have anybody in law enforcement, just stand where you are. Anybody. Anybody. I, I know we typically do. You, you go out of your way to encourage policemen. Pray for policemen. And I mean that. By the way, do we have any government officials here at all? <laughs> no, you're a minister of God. It's a good thing. I'm serious. Do we have any minister or ministers? Do we have any... <laughs> Do we have any government officials at any level here? Just stand. Stand right where you are. Now you won't admit to it. (laughs) Anyway, go out of your way to pray for them and encourage them. Now, I want you to notice here, the purpose of these government officials is to punish evildoers. Look what he says next. It's a dual purpose. The second one is to to praise. Praise law-abiding citizens. Praise those who do right. Praise means to commend, to honor, to pay tribute to, to reward good citizens. In other words, the government loves law-abiding citizens. It sure should. When you have a law-abiding citizen, it makes your job so much easier, so much safer. 
so much more enjoyable. Law-abiding citizens save the government money, save the government time, save the government energy. You know, it's the difference in raising a pig-headed, rebellious kid versus an obedient child. Think about it. A lot less headaches with the one than with the other. What's the right response to a wrong government? Submit to it, respect it, and use it. Use it. What's that mean? Use it as a testimony of your faith in Jesus Christ. Use it as a testimony of your faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Wow, you can have an incredible testimony by submitting to the government and its authorities. Submission, again, is God's will. This is the will of God. So, so you ever ask yourself your que- a question, oh, I wonder what God's will is. It's pretty clear. This, you could start right here. Submit to your government. No more wondering. Starts right here. And submission is a powerful tool that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Submission, you know, can mean excellent behavior, doing good, similar to last week in 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles because they'll see your good deeds as they observe them and glorify God. Submission silences Christian critics. You may silence the ignorance of the foolish men. In other words, silence literally means in the Greek, muzzle. That's what it means. You think about a dog that won't shut up. I got one of those. I love my dog, but barks, bark, 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 bark. Oh, it drives me crazy. I, I love this. I love this meme. So far, my barking has saved my owners from murder by 10 postmen, 40 dogs and cats, five newspaper girls, and 25 cyclists, that they remain ungrateful. <laughs> How a dog sees all their barking. Better yet, muzzle this kind of dog. A vicious, nasty dog. Do you know what obedience to the government does in submission? It muzzles that neighbor that won't shut up behind your back. It muzzles that coworker who's been slandering you. It muzzles that classmate who's been mocking you. It silences ignorant and foolish people. Ignorant and foolish. It's not that they lack knowledge. It's just they're senseless and they've closed their minds and this shuts their mouths. It's the power of submission. In other words, God says it's not about arguing with your mouth. It's about living with your life. And he's saying, Christian, when are you going to learn that? When are you going to learn that your testimony is so powerful when you start living right instead of just trying to argue your way with people? Your life and the way you live make it count in this world in which you live. Your life, how, how you live at work, how you live in your neighborhood, how you live on that team, how you live in that classroom with other students. By the way, this is how a godly woman impacts an ungodly husband. It's with her mouth, not with her mouth, with her life. 1 Peter 3, 1, In the same way you wives be submissive to your husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without what? A word. By the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful, what? Behavior. 
So it's not about talking and nagging and arguing and pushing them farther and farther away. It's about your life, not your lips. And that's what he's saying to all of us as believers. So it's time to change our attitudes toward the government. Time to change our actions toward the government. It's time to live right and do right. What's the right response to a wrong government? Submit to it. Respect it. And use it. And come visit me in jail when I'm told to obey it and it's against God's word. Because I will follow God's word first and foremost. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that in your incredible timing and sovereignty, you had this passage fall next on this Sunday. Thank you for shepherding us as your children and teaching us from your holy word. If you're a believer in Jesus, just talk to your Lord right now. What has God convicted you of? Where has God encouraged you? What do you just need to give thanks to God for? Maybe it's about your life and not the arguments that you try to win with people. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're here this morning and you've honestly never come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is not about being religious. This is about finding true forgiveness for your sins. And there is only one who can save you, and that's the one who died on the cross, who gave his body, who gave his blood, who gave his life. And you may say, Scott, that's me. I, I want God. I need God. I need forgiveness. What do I do? I'd encourage you right now just to call out to the Lord. Call out in faith in the quietness of your heart and ask him to save you. Just use words like these. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of all my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me that much. Lord, I repent of my sin. And I place my faith in you to save me. I can't save myself. Only you can save me. Forgive me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've called out to the Lord this morning, we would love to talk to you about that decision.